Our third scripture reading today is from 2 Samuel, chapter 18, beginning with verse 24. Now, David was sitting between the two gates. The watchman on duty went up on the roof of the gate by the wall. He looked out and saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and reported this to the king. The king said, if he's alone, it's good news. The man got nearer and nearer, and the watchman saw another man running and called down to the gatekeeper. There's another man running alone. The king said, that one must be bringing, new, bringing good news too. The watchman said, I can see that the first one runs like Zadok's son, Ahimaaz. He's a good man, the king said, and is coming with good news. Ahimaaz called out to the king, Peace! Then bowed low before the king, his nose to the ground. He said, Bless the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hands against my master, the king. The king said, Is my boy Absalom okay? Ahimaaz said, I saw a large crowd right when Jaob, the king's servant, sent your servant off, but I didn't know what it was about. Step aside and stand right here, the king said. So Ahima stepped aside and waited. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My master, the king, listen to this good news. The Lord has vindicated you this day against the power of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, is my boy Absalom okay? The Cushite answered, May the enemies of my master, the king, and all who rise up against you to hurt you end up like that young man. The king trembled. He went up to the room over the gate and cried. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab was told that the king was crying and mourning Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the troops, for all the troops, because they heard that that day that the king was grieving for his son. So that day, the troops crept back into the city like soldiers, crept, creep back ashamed after they fled from battle. The king covered his face and cried out in a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Here ends the third reading. Well, now loving and present God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing, acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is now our eighth Sunday uh, with the story of David. It's a long story. Um, and it's long in more ways than one. 
David is called in scripture a man after God's own heart, but many of the scenes from his life leave us wondering why. I think one of the reasons the story of David has resonated so deeply with people for 3,000 years is that it refuses to portray him in simplistic terms. It refuses to reduce him to some one-dimensional character who is either bad or good, reprehensible or righteous, brutal or benevolent. Instead, David embodies all the same complexities and the sticky ambiguities that you and I contend with, and so we see pieces of ourselves in him. And the narrator in in the story of David in Scripture is neither cynical nor idealistic about the life of faith. As Walter Brueggemann describes it, it's not a hopeless story in which evil triumphs, because all throughout there is the abiding love of Yahweh. But nor is it a romantic story in which love conquers all, because in scene after scene, love has to make its tortured way in the face of stubborn and deep evil. And that sounds about right, doesn't it? For several weeks now, we've seen the evil on full display in David's house. Much of the calamity that comes to him, he brings upon himself— Through his sins, he's planted some terrible seeds in the lives of his children, which now begin to bear fruit in them. Last week, we stood beside dear Tamar, David's daughter, who is betrayed by just about everybody in her family, the very people who should have been her safe circle. Her half-brother Amnon rapes her. Her full brother Absalom tells her to keep quiet for now. Her household looks the other way as it happens, and her father David betrays her by doing absolutely nothing. He imposes no consequences on his son Amnon for the assault. David can't bring himself to stand up for his daughter. In the final scene last week, we saw Absalom seething with hatred for his half-brother Amnon over what he had done to Tamar. Now, if David had been paying attention... He'd have noticed that something was wrong between these two sons. Because for two years, Absalom says not one word to this brother whom he hates. Finally, Absalom takes revenge for the rape of his sister. He murders Amnon, then flees to another country. David grieves the death of a son. But in time, Absalom returns, and David allows him to come home, but he refuses to see Absalom. This actually turns out to be a mistake, because those two years when David won't let his son come near him actually set the stage for Absalom's rebellion. Fed up with the aging king, he decides to make a play for his father's crown. And he succeeds. Absalom is just the kind of leader people go for. He's much too handsome for his own good. And his special source of pride is this head of hair, magnificent head of hair, that once a year when he has it trimmed, the trimmings alone weigh three and a half pounds. And Absalom is a charmer. He's a politician. He engages with the people. He kisses their babies and promises a chicken in every pot. He's campaigning. And eventually, when Absalom has enough people on his side, he makes his move. Down in Hebron, he sounds the trumpet and sends out the news, Absalom is king. 
and he begins to march his new army toward Jerusalem. Well, now it's David's turn to feel betrayal at the hands of his very own son. Someone gives him the news. The nation has taken sides with Absalom. And David and his whole family have to flee for their lives, weeping as they go. And so, in the text just before the the story that we read today, with Absalom's army closing in, David has to act. And the tearful old king sends out his men to fight that necessary battle. And on the eve of the battle, David is a wreck. Afraid as he is about losing his throne, he's even more afraid of losing Absalom. The boy may be a thorn in his flesh, but he's also the apple of his eye. Before the fighting starts, David's soldiers ride by the king, and David keeps calling to them, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. He calls it out to everyone to hear. Even though his son has betrayed him and is trying to kill him, David loves Absalom. And the battle is fought in a wooded place, thick and gnarly with old trees. And Absalom, savvy and winsome as he is, is still no match for David's warriors. His army panics and runs, and Absalom himself, riding on his mule, has to flee from David's men. And who knows, maybe he's looking back over his shoulder at them when his mule runs beneath a huge oak tree and somehow that beautiful, abundant hair gets caught up in the branches. And the mule keeps running, leaving Absalom swinging now from this tree, suspended between earth and sky. And he's alive, but not for long. Joab, David's general, is brought to the tree. He brings three small daggers and plunges them into Absalom's heart. He doesn't die instantly, so other soldiers finish the job with their spears. Then they cut down the body, toss him into a deep pit in the forest, and throw stones on top of it. And so the battle is over. Absalom is finished. But David still has to be told. Our text today, the one that Abby read just a moment ago, is the scene in which David receives the unthinkable news. And as we read it, it feels as though we're sitting with him between the gates as he waits for for the word about this son that he loves so desperately. The scene is, is full of suspense. Two messengers actually run to bring David the news. He waits at the gate, frantic, pacing back and forth. He feels sick to his stomach, a lump in his throat. He watches the horizon over and over for a sign of someone bringing news he's desperate to hear, but also scared to death to hear. And finally, the first runner arrives and cries out to the king, All is well, you have won. But David doesn't care about winning. All he cares about is his son. Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the first runner chickens out, mumbles that he just doesn't know. And so the second runner arrives, and out of breath, he cries to the king, All is well. The Lord has given you victory today over those who rebelled against you. And David steps forward. But what about the young man Absalom? And the second runner bows his head, thinks he's delivering good news, and says, May it be with all the enemies of my master, the king, as it is with that young man. And when David understands 
what the runner is saying, he staggers back like someone who's been slugged. Shaking, he turns and walks up the stairs to the chambers over the gate, sobbing as he goes and crying out maybe the saddest words in all of Scripture. Oh, Absalom, Absalom. My son, my son, oh, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son. And whereas with the death of Amnon, David's other son, the narrator doesn't delve into David's emotions. Here, we see nothing but raw grief. Nothing on this earth prepares a human being for the death of his or her child. There is no death more excruciating. That particular grief is not only unimaginably painful, but also profoundly disorienting. It, it, it disrupts the natural order of things. Our children are not supposed to die, at least not before we do. We die first and leave our children behind. That's the way it's supposed to go. It's the life cycle as it is meant to be. And so this chapter today closes with the wound of raw, unvarnished grief. Now, some of us will want to point out, I know, that David exhibits in this text what we might call selective grief. There are some parallels. Did you notice this? Between Absalom's death and the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, several chapters earlier. In both stories, a messenger brings the news. And in both, the messenger has reason to believe the king is going to be pleased but while David is upbeat and cavalier about Uriah's death, a death arranged by David himself, Absalom's death breaks his heart in two. He's not able to be coldly philosophical when it's not, quote, just another Hittite, but his very own son. I think this story invites us to let ourselves feel a, dif a, a deeper empathy than we've allowed ourselves to feel for people unrelated to us, unlike us. Because the truth is, this kind of weeping happens every day. As we listen to David's anguish, we may hear the weeping of all the fathers and mothers to whom has come a telegram or a phone call or a police officer to the door or a neighbor or a doctor bringing the same unthinkable news you and I hear so many tragedies that we can't possibly absorb them all and remain sane. Annie Dillard once told of being at a funeral service in which the minister was reading from 1 Corinthians 15, O oh death, where is thy sting? And somebody from the congregation answered out loud, It's just about everywhere you look. The sting of death is everywhere we look. And so as a kind of self-protection, we, we grow numb. And even though we may flinch when we hear about suffering and loss, we learn over time, if they're not our own losses, to take them in stride. But can we listen to them crying this morning all over our nation and in Mexico 
and Brazil and Afghanistan and South Africa and Russia and England and Colombia and Beirut and Jerusalem and down at the border and here in Washington. Just last night, a 31-year-old man was shot and killed in southwest D.C. And someone received that news. In this hour today, as you and I worship, runners are approaching somewhere with this news that will alter someone's life forever and bring suffering too deep for words, grief that shatters the heart. David brings us face to face with the countless people around us and among us who are grieving hard today. He also brings us face to face with God And if we listen carefully, we can hear the weeping of God for all who have fallen. To God, they are all sons and daughters, dearly loved children. The story is told in the Talmud that when the children of Israel crossed safely the Red Sea and all of Pharaoh's army had drowned, there were angels that sang and rejoiced. And God rebuked them, saying, leave my presence How can you sing and rejoice when my children lay dead on the shore? Jesus told a story of a father who waited for a runaway son, and when he finally came home, he ran to embrace him and showered him with adoration. And in some way, David is a parable of that very same parent to whom not every son or daughter returns. And who weeps as you would weep for your very own child. When they broke the news to David about Absalom, he cried out words that have echoed down through the centuries ever since. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. And he meant it, of course. If he could have done the boys dying for him, he would have done it. If he could have paid the price for his son's betrayal of him, he would have paid it. If he could have given his own life to make that boy alive again, he would have given it. But as Frederick Beekner points out, even a king can't do things like that. As later history would prove, it takes a God. And in time, God climbed down into a rocky, hostile world and walked on human feet. And as he did, he fed people and healed them and taught them and loved them. He challenged them too, this Christ. And so the Son of God, who many called the Son of David, also wound up hanging from a tree. And they ran him through with a spear, and he died suspended between earth and heaven. And some say that when that happened, angels flew to give God the terrible news. But when they arrived, they found the chamber of God was empty because it was also God hanging dead on the tree. And so in the presence of this kind of love, you and I may have some fresh crying to do. Because we've all played the part of Absalom. Absalom is our name. And God, our father, our mother, has grieved for us and died for us. And something in us may want to bow our head and lift up our head to the one whose children we are so privileged to be. But friends, this God would want us most of all now to get up and go with the living Christ 
who moves with purpose and with relentless compassion in the world. As we have been met and given back our lives so we can go with Christ and be his hands and voice for the healing of the world. May God make it so, friends. Amen. And so, God who has wept for us all, Christ who has died for us all, give us grace and faith to believe your promise and to accept this most amazing gift. And take us by the hand and lead us to your children, our brothers and sisters who are grieving or who are dying or are lonely or are searching. And lead us to them with your compassion and grace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.